CSP summer program. This is program number, let me see test. Who's been to all of them? This is program number what? Three. Have you been to all of them? Avi's been to all of them. You've been to all of them? Mark's been to all of them. Okay. Lowell's been to all of them? That's a record. Oh, she's been to all of them. Ina's been to all of them. Okay. Um, this is the third out of the four programs that we had on the topic of, um, what do we call our topic? The Jewish musical experience. Uh, the first topic was about Eastern European Jewish music and its uh, postmodern offspring. Um, yesterday we did, uh, we worked on, uh, we learned about Judeo-Spanish um, music. And tonight's topic um, here at B'nai Israel, by the way, I would like to thank B'nai Israel for hosting us. This is Congregation B'nai Israel, and this is the Family Life Center. The main um, synagogue is right down the uh, path over there. The topic for tonight is uh, singing Israeliness, popular music, and Israeli cultural identity. Uh, if you're available tomorrow, tomorrow is the final in our four-part series. It's at the uh, Jewish Community Center in Irvine, which the topic will be sound and music of the synagogue. As I mentioned, if you want to find out where those melodies come from, like the, the German beer singing song that we all sing apparently during one of our services, join us tomorrow for our final program. Okay. With that, let me say a few words about our speaker, and then we'll get started. Are you ready? Okay. That is our speaker over there. He's very finely dressed. His name is Professor Edwin Sarusi. He and his wife had the great opportunity of driving up the 55 during rush hour. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure I heard on NPR, the 55 and I think the 405 is the busiest interchange in the United States of America. Do you know that? Yeah. If you don't believe me, tomorrow morning at about uh, high traffic, go this way. For some reason, it's always traffic this way. I don't understand it, but go north. It's, yeah, it's pretty bad. Anyway, uh, Professor Sarusi is the Emanuel Alexander Professor of Musicology and Director of the Jewish Music Research Center at Hebrew University of Jerusalem, of which we've heard a lot. Since 2008, he's, he, he has been head of the uh, New School of Arts at Hebrew University. He has an accent, and that is due to the fact that English is, is that your third language or your second language or fourth language? Okay, so the professor was born in Uruguay. Is anybody else here from Uruguay? No one. Okay, so I assume your first language was, is it, what is Spanish? Okay, your second language was Hebrew? Your third language was? French. French? I, I did guess that. Fourth language is English. What's your fifth language? Don't tell me you don't have one, because we have a requirement from our professors. They have to have five. Ah. He speaks many languages. Do you speak Ladino? Okay. Okay. After the program, you can challenge him in any language. We'll see what else he knows. He was born in uh, Montevideo, Uruguay. He immigrated to Israel in 1971, where he learned his second language. Um, he took undergraduate and graduate degrees at Musicology at Hebrew University, and received his PhD from UCLA in 1987, where he studied with his good friend Shalom Sabar, who was our summer scholar last year. He taught at Bar Ilan and Tel Aviv Universities in Israel. Uh, and was visiting professor at SUNY Binghamton, UCLA, Universidad de Buenos Aires, Wesleyan University, Dartmouth College, Institute for Something Really Long in Zurich, <laughs> Moscow University, University of California, Berkeley, Boston University, and Harvard University. He has published extensively on North African and Eastern Mediterranean Jewish musical traditions, on Judeo-Islamic relations in music, and on Israeli popular music. He founded Yuval Music Series and is editor of the acclaimed CD series Anthology of Music Traditions in Israel. With that, I would like to welcome the professor up to the microphone. Let's get the lights off. Thank you all for coming tonight.
Thank you, Ari, for this kind presentation. May, may I ask, besides our friends from Whittier, who obviously were not in the first two lectures, who is also new here because uh, who is listening to me for the first time? Okay. Thank you. We don't need uh, so much, but um, no, you can leave the light on a little bit. Just let's see, let, as it was before. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, I am asking because uh, there is a certain thread in this series of lectures, so um, I uh, want to emphasize and repeat a few of the points that I already have made in previous lectures. So please, those who already uh, heard that once and even twice, I hope uh, you can bear with me. But I will start uh, as uh, I did all my previous lecture, once again, thanking all this wonderful Jewish community here in Orange County, in all its diverse institutions and individuals, but certainly to the uh, scholars program, to Ari Katz for all what he has put here together in organizing, in bringing me here and uh, my wife the Vilner family who is hosting us, they are all here, at least two generations of them. The third generation is out of town, otherwise they would be here, I assume. <laughs> um, the um, um, Nazareth congregation, um, uh, regretfully both the rabbi and the cantor are out of the country, but they're both excellent good friends. The cantor is a former student of mine, and she was mortified, but literally mortified, that she was uh, given an order to go to Israel, accompany one of the birthright uh, groups, and uh, she flew yesterday, I think, last evening, and she was devastated by the fact that she cannot be here, so I apologize in her name. Uh, the, um, the series of lectures, uh, we call that the Jewish musical experience. If you remember, I am trying to convey here two things. First of all, diverse ways in which living Judaism, living Jewish communities express themselves through music. I am not speaking about Jewish music, if you remember. That's very odd coming from the head of the Jewish Music Research Center at the Hebrew University that uh, I, I should say that I accept the concept of Jewish music as a a token of language that is out there in the field. I cannot say it doesn't exist because it exists as a concept, but as an academic, I try to uh, uh, refrain a little bit from that expression uh, simply because these implications when you think logically, academically, are problematic, okay? Because that means that there is a certain music that we can define as Jewish, and I bet that anybody can do that uh, uh, if you attempt to to classify a certain music, oh, this is only Jewish. For any music that you will tell me is Jewish music, I will prove you how there is always a dialogue with music that is not Jewish. But there is a Jewish musical experience which is unique. And this is my main point. A way of doing things, a way of uh, experiencing that is certainly unique because it is related to other factors in Jewish life and society. So that's my, uh, that uh, is uh, my first point. And uh, if you remember, uh, this is the slide that comes back 
in all the lectures, I won't even now, every time I do it shorter, so I will do it even more shorter, but music matters. And my point is, in this series of lectures and in many other courses that I teach, that you can learn a lot through music, through musicology, about a society, about history, uh, that you cannot learn through other components of our uh, cultural experience, such as texts, okay? or even visual um, uh, arts or objects. So music conveys something um, additional, something different, uh, something unique, and sometimes the music contradicts sometimes what the text is trying to say. So there is a certain tension between music and text, and we will see that even more tomorrow when we speak about the music of the synagogue. Um, so Without further uh, general introductions, we go back into the topic of today. And when we discuss with Arie the, the different subjects, we decided that we have to have something about music in Israel. And you see this awkward invented word, Israeliness, which is certainly not in use outside academia, but uh, it's an invention uh, that means uh, many things. And that will be the central point. And the central point will be how this Israeliness is experienced through music. I would, as usual, in my lectures, as you know, we will hear a few uh, clips, a few musical examples. And uh, today I will emphasize also a little bit more text, texts of songs that are very important for my point. And the issue is also towards the end, perhaps this will be our discussion in, during the question and answer. Uh, 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 session whether the Israeli musical experience is a Jewish musical experience or not. This is a very interesting question to see what is Jewish about Israeliness and what is only Israeli about Israeliness and not Jewish in general. So these are the concepts I want to elaborate. But if I would just bring you four points about what I think Israeliness is. One is the issue of belonging to a national culture. What I mean national culture here is that human society today, as we stand now, it may not last forever, but for the past 250 years or so, human beings are organized in societies called nation states. That's the pattern in which we are organized for good or for bad. To remind you, in the past, mostly human society was organized in empires. And an empire and a nation state are not the same. And nation states are inventions of modernity. These are formations that emerge, uh, of course, slowly. They have a long pedigree going to the medieval period. But in its modern form, it's a uh, um, it's a construction that it, that it is artificial. Just think about the Middle East, all these nation countries we are talking about, Iraq, Afghanistan. Why don't these countries hold? Because they are artificial. They were put together by colonial powers following the European model that there should be a country. 
putting together people that don't want to be part of the same unit into one unit. And just that's the best example to show you the problematics of nation state. The Jews towards the late 19th century were, uh, how shall I say, uh, touched by this idea as a possible solution to what emerged as the Jewish problem. The fact that no matter where Jews live, whether they live in empires, Christian empires, Muslim empires, or in modern states, okay? By the late 19th century, most European Jews were living already in nation states. The Jews are always rejected, are always uncomfortable, cannot fit in, cannot get totally equal rights and totally equal treatment like other citizens. So the idea that emerged, and I'm sorry that this is a little bit simplistic the way they're putting it, but the idea is that the solution is for the Jews to have a nation state, their own nation state, where they will be uh, uh, the majority or the absolute majority, and therefore they will function as a normal people. Finally, we are going to be normal, and normality <laughs> Normality was one, I, I, I'm not laughing, if you read, if you read uh, uh, Zionist documents from that period, you will see that normality or normalcy is one of the basic concepts uh, behind uh, Zionism. Of course, Zionism uh, takes its roots on the idea of return. That is to say, we did have a nation state in a period where there were no nation states. Believe me, 2,000 years ago, there was no such a concept. But we imagine that uh, the Jewish kingdom uh, uh, during the Second uh, Temple period was a state, an independent state. I won't go into that now because it wasn't at all. It was dependent on big empires. But there was the, the modern imagination flashes back into that period there was a state. So the new state uh, uh, of Israel, the new or the state of the making, was uh, an enterprise in that direction to form a nation state. And how do you invent a nation state? You invent a nation state, among other things, by emphasizing a shared uh, capital of cultural goods among all the citizens. I'm using here the word capital. I mean, we all know the word capital from economics. But there is also a cultural capital. All your songs, all your stories, all your language too, all these elements comprise what we call a cultural capital. And establishing the cultural capital that is unique to that nation state that will be shared by all the citizens, that will be um, taught in schools of the state so that all the citizens will share the same ideals, the same language, the same songs. Okay? We are talking here about music, so talk about songs. That is one of the basic tenets of the modern nation state. And Israeliness is that culture that was created in the nation state that we call today the state of Israel. Obviously, as you will see in my examples, this Israeli culture, this Israeliness, of course, is directly connected 
to Jewish memories, to pre-state Jewish pedigree, Jewish memory, Jewish texts, and certainly Jewish language, Hebrew. Except that modern Hebrew, as all of you, those of you who know Hebrew, is slightly different from biblical Hebrew or for any post-biblical Hebrew. To the point that today, all linguists, they don't speak any more about modern Hebrew. They call the language Israeli. And that's how modern linguistics address this language as a totally new language. Believe it or not, I know it's a little bit shocking, but it's interesting. And songs in Israeli, that is songs in modern Hebrew, are one of the major makers of Israeliness. So when I said uh, that Israeliness is also a new form of Hebrewism, Hebrewism is a word that we invented to to, uh, to uh, pinpoint the culture of the early stages in the formation of the state of Israel, early Zionist society, pre-state Zionist society, what is usually known as the Ishuv period, the period of the first settlement, starting in 1882 with the foundation of Rishon Etzion, Petach Tikva, and then going on, uh, the foundation of Tel Aviv, 1909, and the foundation of all the kibbutzim, moshavim, all what you know, up to the, to the 1940s. All this period the, is characterized by, as you, many of you know, if not, not all of you, and I apologize if I repeat things that you know, it was characterized by the imposition of the Hebrew language as the language of this new community. Sometimes even by sort of legislation, by not allowing for example, songs in other languages, in other Jewish languages, to be performed on the stage. I know it's shocking, but it, that's, that's true. I can bring you documents. Okay? So therefore, the, we call this period, which was so focused on Hebrew, uh, the, the period of Hebrewism. Israeliness is much more today paradoxical. And believe me, there is a lot of Israeli popular music created in the past decade only in Jewish languages back. Whether this is Yiddish, Judeo-Arabic, Judeo-Moroccan, Judeo-Persian, you name it. Artists, second, third, sometimes four generations of Israelis that rediscover the roots, the linguistic roots of their parents and express themselves in a language that is other than Hebrew. So this is why for me Israeliness is a new Hebrewism. Israeliness is certainly an hybrid. We use the word hybrid in culture too, it's not only for cars, okay? Uh, a composite made of many sources. Now why did I put sources in quotation marks? Because these sources in themselves, they are not one unitary uh, uh, culture. If you take a Jew from Morocco, Okay, the Moroccan Jewishness includes so many layers of Berber culture, of Judeo-Spanish culture, of French colonial culture. So the, all the original Jewish cultures were hybrid themselves. So Israeliness is an hybrid out of many hybrids. There is not a pure culture that we can distinguish. All cultures are hybrids. Think about American culture. Okay, so 
That's what Israeliness is. And then we can say that Israeliness is all what is performed in the Israeli cultural space. Israel is a country today uh, that offers a huge amount of displays of identity through music, in stages, in TV, in theaters, you name it, a, hu a whole scene. So I can say that Israeliness is all what it is displayed on this stage. So from that point of view, uh, modern uh, rock and roll star that decides to, think of Mar uh, that to sing instead of in Hebrew, in Moroccan Arabic, is a true and true Israeli culture, no matter if it's not in Hebrew. This is my last theoretical, you know, my lectures have a theoretical introduction, then we were into, we were into the really into the important stuff, which is the music, okay? But you have to su survive the professor's <laughs> theoretical <laughs> remarks. I hope you do. Uh, how do you divide Israeli popular music? So first of all, one word about what is popular music. This is a very, di very difficult concept you know, to understand. We all think we know exactly what it is, but if I will start to ask you what are the limits of, of, uh, of uh, popular music, there may be some discussions. For example, if I ask you, is um, Miles Davis uh, popular music? Uh, perhaps it's a little bit more art music. I don't know if you know about whom I'm talking. I hope you know. Uh, you know, it's difficult to, to define. So well, we know that Justin Bieber is pop. Okay, we know that. But then on the peripheries, it's much more difficult to, uh, to understand. Then there, are, there is the issue of where are the limits between folk music and popular music, two concepts that seems to be uh, related one to the other. But obviously, folk music always gives us this sensation of an older world, of a more traditional world, of a world of oral tradition. You remember, we're talking an oral tradition instead of recorded music of a world more rural rather than urban, okay? But still, all the pop music scene is uh, plagued with folk songs. So folk songs didn't die, they exist and overlap with uh, popular uh, music. But uh, I would say that when I divide this, uh, the, ho the wholeness of Israeli popular music for the past 100, 120 years, I am making these observations because the early Hebrew songs are presented until this very day as folk songs, the folk songs of Israel. Which, by the way, the folk songs of Israel, when they started to spread outside the issue, when Hebrew, new Hebrew songs created in the land of Israel, in Eretz Israel, started to go to Europe and be performed by youth, Zionist youth movements in Europe, and then to the United States, they were always called Palestinian songs. All the collections that we have, okay, I can show you, it's a pity I didn't bring, I have visuals too, Palestinian folk songs, these mean the songs of the province of Palestine, or the British province of Palestine, and this means the real songs, Hebrew songs of the, of the issue period. Today it sounds paradoxical, but that's the way it was. So one genre that started with the issue, actually this is the invented folk songs of the new Hebrew nation. The invented folk songs of the Hebrew nation, these very old songs. You will be surprised, they remain in the public arena to this very 
day. And they remain in several versions, but one of them is very interesting. One of them is an Israeli rite, a cultural rite, almost like a religious, a secular synagogue with, with some religious overtones. And this setup is called Shira Betzibur, singing along or singing together. Israelis love to get in public spaces. This goes back to the beginning of the kibbutzim, etc., where all the members of the kibbutz used to sing after the working day and sing songs around the fire camp. And this minhag, this um, custom, remained until today. Believe me, you can go to pubs today, really uh, yuppie clubs in Tel Aviv, and sing these old Hebrew songs that usually are projected they, were, they used to be projected by slides, now they are by PowerPoint, and there is a guitar player, an accordion player, uh, accompanying, and people just sing these songs 100 years old again and again. But there are also covers of this song, okay? Modern rock and roll covers of this same song. So this is like the kernel of Israeli, uh, and I will play for you a couple of songs of this type. Then we have a very important part of what is considered the classic Israeli song comes actually from the Hebrew theater, from the cabaret, and later on from the IDF, IDF Israel Defense Forces Ensembles. Uh, the army, the Israeli army was the main producer of popular music in the 1950s and 60s. Every young uh, uh, outstanding artist in the field of music was recruited by the army to be a musician. And the army established these groups which performed songs not only for the soldiers but also for the general public. Imagine if you're an empresario here in LA that for free you can get to choose from, the all, from all the citizenships of American the best singers and hold them for three years having rehearsals 24-6 <laughs> with no limitations and not paying them. For free. Can you imagine what a beautiful industry that would be? That's what happened more or less in Israel at the time. So most of the big, big artists of Israeli pop music of the 60s and 70s, they were all uh, uh, people coming out from the, this Israeli army ensembles. Among them, Chaim Topol, you know, you know, big, uh, you know, it's not only, by the way, singers, actors too, and comedians, okay? So, uh, and another um, venue for generating a lot of popular music in Israel was the song festivals. IBA stands for Israel Broadcasting Authority, what used to be called Israel, etc., the radio and the TV. Israelis love festivals. The love for festivals comes not from the um, Zionist movement, but comes mostly from the European model of the song festival. As a, as a mechanism to generate new songs. So every year there, was, there were in Israel in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and now it was renewed one year ago, once again, the Israel Song Festival, where new songs are commissioned, and then there is a competition, the people vote. In the past, the people used to vote by telephone, of course, now they vote by Twitter or whatever, and they select the best songs, and uh, that's it. Then. In the 1970s, rock and roll. Rock and roll is more or less what we can call today global popular music. Pop rock, that's the mainstream. That's the, the style of music that you will find in absolutely every corner of the world. It's an aesthetics of doing music shared by all humanity today. And there is a Hebrew rock and roll scene which is fascinating, 
and I will play for you an example, and pop rock continues from the 70s until today. Then we have Musica Mizrahit. That's a genre that is identified by all Israelis very clearly because of its sounds, oriental pop music. This music starts also in the 1970s when we will listen to an example of it, I will say a few more words, but basically it's a sound that combines Greek music, Greek pop music of the uh, Greek um, tabernas, the, the nightclubs of Greek uh, um, uh, harbors uh, where people go and, and sing and throw the plates and break them. Okay? So that's a style that was introduced to Israel in the 60s, caught up, and it's mixed with Yemenite, Moroccan, Arabic, Turkish style. So it's a sort of compote. Can you say that? Do you have the word? Yeah, composed, okay, compote. Like, uh, you know, when you have all the fruits together. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean fruits. So, uh, so uh, this is what uh, Musica Mizrahit is, but it has a very distinctive sound, also because it employs a combination between rock instruments, electric guitars, drum sets, but also uh, buzuki, which is a very important Greek instrument, and also kanun and oud, Arabic and Turkish instruments, so the sound is an hybrid in itself. And then I wrote others, and uh, today I will focus towards the end of the lecture on others. Others are those types of popular music creativity that refuses the uh, generalizations of the professor. <laughs> that they can be this and this and that, and also they are on the fringes of popular music with, uh, um, uh, I would say, um, uh, at least a certain degree of artistry that leads them a little bit more into the field of art music. So it's between the popular and the learned music. Finally, music. I will give you just a couple of examples. L literally, for this lecture, it is impossible to me <laughs> to select because I want this and this and this and this and this. So I brought you some, a couple of things, particularly women voices. I want to emphasize women today, not only men, but women. And women were very important in the creation of Israeli folk song. So, uh, the first example, Sara Levitanai. Whoever heard about Sara Levitanai? Oh my gosh. Oh, very bad, very bad. <laughs> Arya, I, Arya, I have to come back. Yes, you do. I have to come back. Like this. Giving, you I, I have to come back. Sara Levitanai was an amazing person. She, first of all, she's the Israel Prize winner for her contribution to Israeli culture. She, uh, she was uh, originally a, a, a kindergarten teacher. She's from a Yemenite family. She's from this generation of Yemenite immigrants. She came uh, as, a, as a very, very little child, okay? So, and, but she was taken out from the Yemenite Jewish community and if you want, taught into the ways of Zionism by attending schools created by German teachers, German Jewish teachers. So can you imagine this, this encounter between German Jewish teachers and Yemenite kids? What comes out of it? But she was outstandingly gifted. She's renowned for her contribution to dance. So after being a, a, um, a kindergarten a, a teacher, and she wrote many of the most important kindergarten rhymes, uh, songs, that the Israeli kids sing until this very day. 
She founded in the late 40s the Imbal Theater Dance Group, which is world famous, and uh, that you know. So she's the founder. She developed this concept of modern dance based on Yemenite movements, uh, dance movements. She was adopted by uh, Martha uh, Graham, and uh, she became a world authority. Actually, she's a model. There is a lot written about this. One. So I wrote you a song, a, 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 um, a kindergarten rhyme that you wrote. And I want you to hear, you remember that <coughs> I told you that all of you are musicologists. And this, the, the song is performed in a sing-along sing -along by Israelis. It's not a, a, a stage performance, okay? So it's just a sing-along. People sing this rhyme. Just listen to it and I will make a brief musicological remark to show you what is unique in this tiny little song. Those of you who know the song are invited to sing along. <laughs> However, there is uh, um, the song, the song calls for clapping. So I will tell you where to clap. They sing the songs in strings, one after the other. These are grown-ups. <laughs> Remember, these are grown-up people like you singing uh, these rhymes, because it reminds me of this school. So, the kids are asked, and the kids, there is a, a choreography to that. She also did a choreography. Let's uh, form a circle and dance, and then ka. so they are all dancing like this. and and so on and so forth. <laughs> That's uh, Sara Levita Nai. Now, musicology. The melody is very simple, but it has a trick. La 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 That sensation, what we call in music, modality. The song is not on major or minor. It's in the middle. And this is the type of sound that the early Israeli composers, Hebrewist composers, try to avoid the European pattern of major and minor scale by writing in these modes. So even in this little tiny song, we have this gesture, which in a way is the musical expression of what we may call the negation of the diaspora. Although all the aesthetics and all the pedagogical tools here are through and through German. This is German pedagogical structures for kindergarten. The Germans invented this and did spread throughout the world through German teachers, including Jewish ones. Look, another beautiful. Brachat <coughs> Sefira. <coughs> ah, yeah, yeah. This turns. Uh, those who know a little bit, it goes back again from the same era. 
a Yemenite uh, orphan that was adopted by several families in Jerusalem. She lived two years of her life, of her early life in, in, with different families. Every year, she had two years with Persian Jews, two years with Bukharian Jews, two years with Sephardic Jews, and she had this power to absorb songs from all these ethnic groups, and then she wanted to be an opera singer. So she went to Berlin, and she studied there, she came back, she met one of the most outstanding Israeli musicians ever, uh, Nahum Nardi, who was a composer, an incredible pianist, a man from Odessa. Let me tell you how big this man was. You know Vladimir Horowitz, you heard. So in a competition of pianists in Odessa, Vladimir Horowitz took the second prize, and the first prize was Nahum Nardi. But Vladimir Horowitz came to the United States. Nahum Nardi went to Palestine, and he ended up accompanying folk singers. Okay, just a little bit about the path of human destiny of each one. So you are going to hear a very old song. This is a song from a cabaret. And I'm playing this song because uh, uh, Bracha, uh, she sang a lot in, in uh, theater too. By the way, she toured um, Europe in the 1930s when it was still possible, okay? She recorded, and then slowly she was forgotten. And she ended up her life in 1990, nobody <coughs> knew who she was, very bitter, but never mind. But look how beauty, when, the, when, when she appeared in Berlin, barefoot, with this tight, you know, folkish dress, and with this hair, black, you know, the German Jews were white. You, I can tell you we have reviews of her appearances in, in Berlin in 1931-32. It's just amazing. Okay? So the song is a song about Tel Aviv. Now what is interesting here is that this song, accompanied by Nahum Nardi, is originally, and here you have one real interesting paradox. Originally, the tune is a Palestinian folk song, an Arab-Palestinian folk song. Many of the most cherished, uh, cherished uh, uh, Hebrew songs have Arabic tunes that were adopted by the early settlers who had daily contacts with the Arabic population. So embedded in the hardcore of Israeli culture, we have this local Middle Eastern uh, Palestinian component, which looking back in history is one of those paradoxes that are so interesting. The song had another Hebrew text. So here we have a cover of a cover. They, they put the Hebrew text, Sa'enu, that was the original Hebrew text, and they changed it to Tel Aviv. And uh, let's listen to this, an amazing performance. This was recorded in the late 1930s. Oh, <laughs> 
I'm sorry, um, I'm jumping fast. I made a mistake when I, when I put the recording and then the, in the PowerPoint presentation, you pull the file and you put it on this uh, little icon. So this is another recording of the same song. This is a song by Brahat Spiras. It's interesting now that I'm listening that he really imitates her. Mamash, he's almost trying to sing like her. This is a man singing, obviously, not a woman, even though the, the voice of Rahat Sfira wasn't much, much higher than, than, than the voice. This is the voice, this is interesting for you Americans, of Moshe Natanson. Moshe Natanson was a, new, uh, a Russian Jew who came to Palestine. He studied music and songs in Palestine, and he came to the United States in the, 19, in the early, early 1930s. And he became one of the main links between the Israeli-Palestinian repertoire and American Jewish culture. He was a cantor for Mordechai Kaplan in New York for the first reconstructionist temple. So he was a cantor trained in Israel with Israeli songs. So you see how the song arrived uh, to, to the United States too. But he has in his here Brachat Sfira. He's singing exactly like her. So this is why Marlena, I. This, um, this mistake just went through very well because you could hear Brachat Sfira through Moshe Natanson. And you see how he is, in a way, exaggerating the um, uh, oriental uh, pronunciation of Hebrew, okay, with deeply guttural uh, pronunciation, which is a little bit uh, absurd what he's doing, but that's it. Tel Aviv, Ir Shekulam Yehudim, everybody is a Jew, everybody is happy. Everybody is. The, everybody was happy in Tel Aviv at the time. <laughs> okay, never mind. But the song that's what it says. Uh, a quintessential example of an Israeli popular music from the early period, from the theater stage that continued to be performed until this very day. Now, jumping like crazy to the 1970s, to two of the most beloved artists uh, of uh, Israeli popular music, this will be an example of Israeli pop uh, in its uh, pop rock in its early stages. Mati Kaspi, the singer, and Ehud Manor, Zichronoli Vracha, one of the greatest Israeli lyricists of uh, the 19, from the 1960s until he died uh, a few years ago. He wrote many of the most beloved Israeli songs that all of you sing and you don't know who wrote them. All the songs that you sing were written by human beings, composers and lyricists. So he is one of them. And I choose two songs now. We will have two songs, one rock and one oriental pop. And both deal with Shabbat. So here I want to show uh, the, the approach of different genres of popular music to Shabbat. Um, let's see if. Let's go first to the text and then we will play the clip. So we have the original clip of Mati Kaspi singing in Israeli TV in the 1970s. You will be able to see also his expression is very important. Uh, I don't have a translation of it and uh, I will just translate it here, just improvising. I hope you bear with me. Yom Shishi Hazar, Friday is back. Yom Shishi, not Erev Shabbat, but Friday. Yom Shishi Hazar, Friday is back. That's the name of the song. Blishum Hadashot, there are no news. This is a cruel Friday. Why? I have, once again, 
שעות קשות, difficult hours. What is difficult for you? השעה שמונה אין לי תוכנית, it's 8 p.m. and I don't have any program. And I am searching for two possibilities. The first, to go to sleep alone. That's never very good. <laughs> the second one is that I will go and become a hunter uh, in the streets until something nice will happen. Okay? Perhaps there is a good opportunity or a good chance to find Gan Eden, to find paradise in the street, and perhaps I will have a Laila Tov, I will have a good night. <laughs> I have already a program, I'm going down the stairs, uh, uh, I have a car, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the, red, the, the green light is helping me to go, you see Adairia uh, until the city hall of Tel Aviv. This is a very Tel Aviv local city, this speaks about a very specific streets in Tel Aviv, and then he spent 40 minutes finding a parking place. <laughs> this, is on, this is on Erev Shabbat, okay, when all the Jews are supposed to be at home, you, you know, so he cannot find a parking place. Midnight screen on the movie on Kolnoa Gad. Kolnoa Gad was a movie theater in Tel Aviv that used to be open on Shabbat, so there was a, 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 a midnight show on, on Shabbat. Okay, uh, and uh, um, I found, uh, I found uh, uh, one and, uh, that, um, uh, 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 but she, she ran away from me. Okay, she, he puts his eye on someone, she ran away, um, uh, and now it's almost three o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, perhaps there is still a chance of finding Gan Eden, of finding paradise in the street, and perhaps even a good night. I do another round around the city, uh, the, the gas is uh, running out, and uh, okay. Uh, and now it's almost the, 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 the sun is rising. Lishon Kualokeda is not uh, possible to sleep now. Who, who will go to sleep when the sun is rising up? Od Me'ad Yom Shabbat. So very soon it's going to be Shab Shabbat, okay? And my bed is too big. Uh, anani, uh, anayam, uh, I cannot translate this, it's a very bad work, uh, <laughs> word, okay, I need the fruk. Uh, I am weeping, you know, I'm whining, you will say in English, I'm whining. Uh, uh, I'm whining, therefore I exist. He's quoting Descartes, I think, therefore I exist. So he said, I'm whining, therefore I exist. Uh, there is no possibility of finding Gan Eden Barrechov, of finding paradise in the street, Vegam Lo Shum Lailatov, and not even a good night. This is what an Israeli young person has to say about Shabbat <laughs> in the 1970s. Now, when I was speaking about Israeliness, when you leave the secular Shabbat in Israel, that all that you care is where to have a good time at night, in a nightclub or in a cinema, etc., it's a little bit shocking when I speak to Jewish communities outside that this is one of the uh, essential parts of Israelis. So let's... Now, this man has a, a Moti Kaspi is a genius. 
Moti Kaspi must be one of the most gifted Israeli musicians of popular music ever. Every song of his is, is a statement. It's interesting. It's not, you know, uh, going by the formula of the pop music industry, but saying something very personal. And he delivers the song like there is absolutely no feeling. He looks, you will see, straight. There is not a smile, there is nothing. Look, now that you know the text very well, you can see the contrast between his performance and the text. Mm -hmm. Let's hope this this in YouTube. Just put Mati Kaspi with two T's. M-O-T-T-I Kaspi C-A-S-P-I All his songs, you can listen to him. An amazing Hebrew artist. And an amazing statement here, Israel in the 1970s, perhaps at the peak of the power of secularism just before it fall in the elections of 77. Very interesting moment. And you see a young Israeli, a young Yiddish boy, okay, uh, a rocker. <laughs> now we move into oriental music, another great artist, not a composer, mostly a performer, Yossi Levy, also known as Daklon, he's a Yemenite Jew. Now you will see that many Yemenite Jews 
are very prominent in the Israeli pop music industry. This is very interesting. And one of the reasons is that most Yemenis are good singers. They have incredible voices, both women and men. And he's one of the heroes of this style called Oriental music. Now, this is the song. Uh, here I translated everything for, for you. Uh, the song, the, the text and music by Aviu Medina. Aviu Medina is the main composer of uh, this uh, style, the main uh, um, speaker on behalf of this style. I don't want to uh, go, Arya, this is again an entire course on Oriental Israeli music because there is a political tension between the people who make this music and the establishment, the radio, the TV. They're always weeping that they don't play this music enough. And uh, Avio Medina is the, the main uh, um, uh, speaker on behalf of this style, even though he was the, the CEO of Israel, ASCAP. Okay, they had the most powerful position in the country. He was still weeping that they don't play his music enough. This song, Yom Shishi Gia, I, I am putting these songs together. I'm very happy I, I had this idea. I've never done this. It's incredible. From the, about the same time, but these are Sephardic and Oriental Jews. Shabbat is something else. Friday has arrived, and my lot is so good. I wander around town chatting, chatting as it my abyss. From the window of the scholar Navon's house, Shabbat songs are widely heard. So he's walking through the area of Nevet Sedek uh, and Yafo, and he's quoting real people that exist, you know, real rabbis, where you can hear from their windows the different Shabbat songs. So the refrain of the song are three different uh, Jewish, traditional, very traditional Jewish songs that are heard from the balcony, from the uh, from the balcony or from the uh, window. The second one is a Yemenite one. The, by the way, the Yemenites' uh, 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 grapevine is uh, Kerem Ateimanim. It's a neighborhood in southern Tel Aviv, and uh, I will just play the whole song, and that's it. I don't have to add anything else. You can follow the text. So this is the buzuki, the, the instrument that you're hearing. Very well known for the Shabbat.
Mori e insieme da Giussi se fa bye so now he sings like a Yemenite like an authentic Yemenite The third one is the most interesting. So this is, so look how different these two songs about Yom Shishi are and they are happening in the same society at the same time and, and by people who know each other. Let's go into something a little bit different. Let's hear some Israeli hip-hop. I, I wish, uh, I, I hope you all heard about this group. This is a very famous group has appeared in the United States, Dag Nahash, the Snakefish group. These are good Yiddish kinder from Jerusalem, okay, turned into rappers. And uh, I'm playing from this, uh, I like, you know, even though I'm not a teacher of visuals, visuals are important. So the, the, the famous CD from which the song I'm going to play comes, it's called Homer Mekomi, local stuff. And what is the local stuff? Bamba. Bamba is one of the Israel's most distinguished food products ever invented, okay? So uh, that's what, so, so they are rappers, that is to say they are part of the global community of a style that you find everywhere in the world, wherever you go, but their stuff is rap mekomi, is local, is Israeliness, okay? The song is called Here I Come. <laughs> it's a very funny song, it goes very fast, uh, I will play it, I will just tell you that the song is very simple. One, uh, this, the topic is very simple. One of the main uh, uh, migrations inside of Israel, as you all know, is secular people leaving Jerusalem and moving to Tel Aviv. That's what the song is about. 
So it's about the vision of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem as two different worlds. However, as you will see, the uh, experience in Tel Aviv, although it's extremely exciting, eventually is so materialistic that it's meaningless. And they go back to Jerusalem. So this song is a song about a praise of Jerusalem, but also part of the uh, crisis of living in Jerusalem. So, Jerusalem as city, it starts Ir Shabbatitzutz, which in Hebrew sounds much more better, a city worth an explosion. But in Hebrew, you know, this is not a terrorist attack. Mashu Pitzutz, it's something that bl blow up your mind or something like that would be in English. So, Jerusalem blows your mind, walking through the Venetian streets, you feel the gathering of the, of the style, of the uh, exiles, and every, everybody has a brother and nine sisters, Arabs are fine, Orthodox Orthodox are in the header, etc. And uh, since the time that the Teddy Soccer Stadium was founded, the city is going downhill. That is, the construction of the big soccer stadium was the last statement of secularism in Israel. And then since then, everything is going down the road. And uh, from day to day, Tel Aviv shines more. So from day to day, Tel Aviv looks better. Uh, uh, friends live or get closer. To the creation, uh, to the creator of heavens, okay, uh, in in, uh, in in Jerusalem, but it's great, boring, and there is no sea, okay. I'm thinking about living three years until I made my suitcases and I came down. Tel Aviv, here I come. I'm arriving. That's the refrain. Here I come. I came to sweat. Here I come because you are the only one. And uh, yet, uh, and so he, they go in the direction of the, and am jumping a few of the lines, and uh, I mix uh, with the scenery, uh, all is fresh and all is good. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I will not read that. Okay? <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, after two years of Sodom and Gomorrah, now I want, to, I want to tell you this, all these songs of these rappers are embedded with the assumption that you know something about the Bible. Now, this is so important when I say to people, even those who do not read the Bible, because bi biblical expressions and, and, and uh, perceptions are embedded in modern Hebrew, that many people know much more than what they think they know. So, Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't recognize myself in the mirror. I know I mix, I fuse, I embrace with the owners of clubs. And now that I'm in, so now that everything is so good, why everything is so bad? Okay? And eventually, uh, I had paradise in my hands, that is, Jerusalem was paradise, uh, and, uh, and he's again still uh, making, uh, packing his suitcase, and Jerusalem, here I come back, okay? I return, here I come, in Yaniba, El Chomotayich, okay, Yerushalayim. That is to say, once again, from the prophets, okay, I'm coming back to your walls, uh, you are the only one, I swear. Okay? And finally, I return to Jerusalem. Okay? Humus is the best, and it's Czech, and that's true. Okay? And uh, humus is very important to Israeliness, it's a very important activity in eating humus. Um, and uh, tell you, Roga, tell you, Sheket, I, I want just, uh, you know. Uh, uh, I want to do some damage control. I put a note in the Western world instead of some food. Okay, so I'm putting spiritual food instead of of uh, uh, material food. Make new friends. This city gives me back the control over. So I am controlling over my life. Okay, let's hear the Dag Nahash, at least part of the song. <laughs> 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 
So these are two examples of the other. You remember those things that refuse to be categorized. So just two examples, one very old and one new from last year. So that you have two uh, perspectives and we can finish with that. One is this amazing group called Abrera Ativit, uh, which they translate uh, uh, as the natural gathering. Uh, basically, Abrera Ativit in Hebrew is the concept for the Darwinian selection of uh, uh, the biological selection, okay? okay. So, but they translate themselves like the na na natural gathering or the natural option or something like that. So uh, the group was founded by these four. This is their first album from where I want to play a piece. They were four musicians. Shlomo Bar is the one who is playing the drums. Uh, uh, a guy who came from the, uh, from the Atlas Mountains in, in Morocco. That is to say, this man is a Berber, okay? A Berber Jew who came uh, to Israel uh, very young in the in the early, in the mid 50s, uh, gifted uh, percussionist and very charismatic figure, still around after 35 years of career, still very much present in Israel. And then you have the violinist Samson. He came from India. He's an Indian Jew, but not from Cochin, not from the uh, the area of Malabar. But he came. He came uh, from Mumbai. Mumbai. Uh, Eckstein, the, the the guitarist, an American, an American guitarist who made Aliyah in Israel. This guy was here in the folk movement, in the revival, and uh, he knew also um, uh, modern jazz uh, of the time. So he brought all that. Just just to tell you this encounter of cultures, what it produces. And then my dear friend uh, Israel Borohov on the bass. He's born in Israel, but his, his family is from Bukhara in Central Asia. And uh, these magnificent musicians created music that endures to this very day. I'm going to play one song by them from, one, one, from their first uh, uh, album, which is called Elei Shorashim. Elei Shorashim means I return back to the roots. So we have all the time this movement of going back to the roots. It's ceaseless. Unlike what you can imagine from the previous example that everything, or from Mati Kaspi, that everything is about forgetting what it was and doing something new, you have this tension, all the time this dynamic tension. Uh, if you want, uh, in, Mar in Marxist terms, these dialectics between going back and going forward, going back and going forward. And the music expresses that. 
The song is a beautiful song. Shlomo Bar composes what is in Hebrew is called. Oh, I don't want this. So. Um, It starts slowly, I can say something. He selected songs from real poets. So this is real high poetry set into music. Okay? Let's hear it. It opens with the Indian violin. And it's a prayer. It's a very deep secular prayer. Abraham Harfi came from Poland to Israel in the 1930s. Very distinguished Hebrew poet. Talk through it. The song 
is like a lead by Schubert. Okay, it has a form of an art. It doesn't repeat itself. It develops, it expresses the text when he says what is going to be with them. His cry is the highest pitch in the song. All the procedures that you have with musical expressivity. In the middle, we have improvisations of instruments. So here you have uh, the influence of modern jazz. You have a session of instrumental improvisations in the middle of the song, and the song will go back to the last uh, stanza. And the song lasts for seven and a half minutes. This is why I cannot play it all, but you can listen to that also on YouTube. There is no problem. Seven and a half minutes is twice the amount of the music industry standard. So that means that this song is on the fringes between the popular and the artistic. But it's very Hebrew and it incorporates jazz. If you know John McLaughlin, for example, that's what you have a little bit of John McLaughlin here. Indian music, Arabic music, Moroccan uh, Berber drumming, all in one language that is so coherent that it makes some sense. This is a great example of Israeliness. Uh, in music, Shlomo Bar and Abrerati. And we will end. Sorry, we have to stop him by force. <laughs> the last example, Kobi Oz, one of the most interesting Israeli artists in the pop scene today, younger than Shlomo Bar, but also from Morocco, very interesting. He was born in the city of Zderot. Many of you know Zderot because Zderot is the main victim of the uh, missiles from, from Gaza. And interestingly enough, Zderot is one of the capitals of Israeli rock and roll. The kids there, many of the most important groups come from there, and he is one of them. He's also now a writer, a novelist, an intellectual. Uh, his family comes from Tunisia, not from Morocco, so he's from Tunisia. So last, two years ago, uh, Kobi Oz and uh, Arya, if you want to invite an Israeli artist to, to Orange County, I suggest to bring uh, Kobi. He's really interesting, engaging, beautiful, witty, uh, great humor, but also very deep uh, Jewish roots. So two years ago, he published a CD called uh, Mizmorei Nevochim, which all of you who knows a little bit of Hebrew, this is a play of words with Morei Nevochim. Mizmorei Nevochim, the songs of the perplexed, playing with Maimonides, the guide of the perplexed. And one of the songs, that they, they, all, every song is interesting, but one of the songs is a song that he sings over the, so the voice of his grandpa, who was a cantor. So now we have a generation of musicians who have recordings of their grandparents. And they can use it to incorporate that in their, in their, in their song. So he took the footage of his bar mitzvah, and his grandpa is singing for him a piyut, and on top of that, he composed the song. So we are going to see the clip, but before, just the words of the song. The song is called Eloi, okay? 
And I will read it for you. I, I did this translation specially for you. Uh, I have so much to tell you, yet you know everything. I have so many requests to ask for you, but you anyway want the best of me. I give you a little smile for everything. Of beauty I notice, impressive or delicate. And I am a bit embarrassed, do not know how to call you, Elohim or Eloki. I have so, so, so many thanks to you, standing in line at your door, but my thanks always come out kitschy. I have so, so, so many requests to ask for you, though I am basically fine. Lord, if you hear my prayer, maybe you can send my love to my grandfather. Tell him that the Sephardic moderation he maintained has been replaced by zealotry and excellence. <coughs> this is a very stark political comment on the relationship between state and, and, and religion today in Israel. And he's praying his grandpa, he said, look what we did. We were very traditional religious, but we were very um, uh, accommodating. And now it's being replaced. By the way, this is not again the Ashkenazim himself. This is again the Shah's political party. This is again Sephardic extremism, not against Ashkenazi extremism. But despite everything, tolerance is bubbling beneath the surface. Look how people are bit by bit leaving behind the tension and in the end just want to be united in this great synagogue called the Land of Israel. So he has a message of hope that Jews can get along with each other in, in the future. And Eretz Israel is a synagogue. But what he means here by synagogue is not a shul. Synagogue in the original Greek meaning of the word, a place where you gather together, a place of reunion, a place of being, <coughs> experiencing the same experience. And there is so, so many things I would like to thank you, etc. So it's a prayer to God. It's also like Abraham Halfi. I'm so happy I put these examples together because they all speak about this, this, uh, this yearning to speak to God as a secular person. Is God listening to us also if we don't go to the synagogue, also if we don't keep all the precepts? Can we address uh, God and how? This is very interesting. And you see that we are talking about pop music. We are not talking about anything else and still popular music has embedded these heavy uh, topics that preoccupies any Israeli. So, we are going to see the clip. Bring us together from the four corners of the world. 
So this is a very old Tunisian field. So his text is a text of the text.
war, like Yerushalayim uh, Shel Zahav, Sharm El Sheikh. Would you put that, what category would you put that yeah, in? Yeah. Well, the songs stylistically, in terms of uh, style, you have all the songs are pop rock songs. Some of them are ballads, some of them are more, you know, with rock rhythm. Most of the songs were recorded by the Israeli army ensembles, to remind you, okay? And uh, the uh, composition of these songs were part of the general euphoria of following the, the war. They are the equivalent of the albums of uh, victory that were published by the hundreds or by the tens of the hundreds. It is equivalent to many other uh, um, of those I would say, reading back, sort of naive expressions that this victory is like the end of times and from now on everything is going to be all right. So I want to tell you that at the same time that you have these victorious songs, you have many songs expressing except, uh, uh, sadness. First of all, sadness for those who fall in the war and also skepticism about this victory. Like Meir Ariel, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim Shel Barzel, I think. Jer instead of Jerusalem of gold, Jerusalem of iron. Very, very important song by Meir Ariel, contra Nomi Shemer, Yerushalayim Shel Zal. So there were many voices also that were a little bit more restrained or skeptical <coughs> or sad. So it's not only one side. And again, popular music expressed the, uh, I would say, the wide range of reactions to, uh, to that episode. And by all practical means, every war of Israel has its repertoire, for sure. Every war, including the Intifada, okay? Uh, there is a very famous song of the first Intifada, Yorim Bebuchim, you, you shoot and you cry. Uh, uh, I forgot by whom, but yeah, woman singer, songwriter. Uh, so, regretfully, Israeli popular music addresses, as you saw, the concerns of the Israeli society on the political level, on the level of relationships between church and state, on the level of the, of the experiences of the war, both victory and defeat, both <coughs> Uh, the sad moments and the moments of joy. And in this sense, really, Israeli popular music addresses, in my opinion, slightly more the reality of life than pop music, let's say, in Italy or, or France. It's not that there aren't real concerns in those repertoires too, but here I think it's much more intensified. This is why I believe that the research on Israeli popular music give us a lot of dividends. And you also saw, when you analyze only the music without the text, that the music, in a way, tells us a story with the sounds, like the Yom Shishi song with all the quotations of all the Putin, of the ingathering of the exiles without saying a word about the ingathering of the exiles. The ingathering of the exiles is embedded in the music. Okay? I hope I answered you. Oh my gosh. I know it's too much, but I, I'll, I will be fired by Arya. If I if I put one more example, I will be out of business. Because I, I, you were 
so wonderful. And I was waiting for my growing up songs of the Halutzin. Yeah. And I didn't hear them. And even the Russian Oh, you heard the Tel Aviv song? The Tel Aviv song is uh, archetypal song of Halutzin. Halutzin of Tel Aviv, but Halutzin. But one other thing, I know my aunt sent us the piano from New York. And yeah. she came to visit us. And my sister said to the piano played by ear. And we sang, we sang all these songs, and she said, Kinder Lach, Kinder Lach, that is Nish Israel, is Israel, 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 there are many tunes who were adopted from other cultures. So two of the main resources are, one, Russian songs. Because many of the immigrants, particularly the, the people who used to sing in the kibbutzines and came from Russia, they took their melodies that they knew very well. They put Hebrew words and you have an Israeli song. <laughs> and the second one I mentioned, because this is less known, is the Arabic tunes. The Arabic tunes they heard in the Galilee, in the Upper Galilee, in the Emek, from the Bedouins, from their daily dealings with the Arabs, they catch these Bedouin melodies, you know, uh, one of the most beautiful Israeli songs, Maya Fima Leilot. Maya Fima Leilot, Okay, That's a, a Palestinian song, and you have more and more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can see the Bedouins with the, with the handkerchiefs uh, dancing in the, yeah. Uh, there was, yeah. Uh, well, I, I was wondering about Galei Sahal. Is it still going strong today? Yeah. Uh, Why Galei Sahal was holding a lot of Sheretz Israel for not being in, in, the, in their station too much? There was a time was they will put everything new, but the not the oldest the, the, uh, the oldest. Well, uh, let me tell you, first of all, for those who just I'm explaining the question because you may not know that Israel has um, today countless radio stations. But until 1980, about 1980, there were in Israel only three radio stations. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Except what you could get, of course, by via um, FM from around, from the Arab countries or from Cyprus or from. Okay, now. The stations were in the hands of the state. Kol uh, Israel, the Radio Israel, Reshet Aleph, Reshet Bet, the first uh, and the second uh, networks, they were in the hands of the civilian government. And Galei Tzahal, the radio of the Israel Defense Army, which you would imagine, you know, why should uh, 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 um, an army has a radio station that in a way addresses the whole country, it doesn't address only the army itself. And it became, uh, actually the most progressive radio station in Israel, particularly the first one to play rock and roll. When the state secular radio were still holding rock, Galei Tzal was already playing. And today, Galei Tzal is one of the most influential uh, um, um, components in the uh, music market in Israel, in making what we can call the playlist of Israeliness, is Galei Tzal. And uh, now Gale, the, the, that station has three stations, and one is the traffic uh, station, so you can hear the traffic uh, in Israel. It's, believe me, I don't know what about 55 and 5. <laughs> and, 
I can tell you <laughs> that the Kvishgea is not more, it's not better than, uh, than that. And uh, uh, um, uh, the, the, the issue here is that I don't think that the army behold the, the old songs. It's just they were actually in the vanguard. They were avant-garde playing actually uh, more uh, modern songs. By the way, today the state has three stations and Reshet Gimel is a station that by uh, government legislation can only play songs in Hebrew. Oh, really? They cannot play songs in English. So Reshet Gimel, Reshet Beivrit only. Yeah. I just wanted to make a comment, an observation. Yeah. Um, I, I thank you very much. I enjoyed the lecture. And um, it's interesting. My daughter made Aliyah when she was 20, met her husband, had kids. Um, and she tried very hard to acculturate into the country. I heard a lot from her about her frustration with two things that, that interfered with her acculturation. One was not having been in the army and knowing the culture. The other was not knowing the songs that her kids were singing in school. So she went out and bought, um, what is it, my first 100 songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I heard about that so much, and now I can understand why. I thought, what's the big deal? Thank you. So you made my day. You made my point. I, don't think <laughs> I think that now you can really believe me <laughs> what I said. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted to thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for the great uh, lecture. And now we all know a little bit more about Maybe this year, since we're going to be starting our CSB fundraising, as we do every year, we'll have you, like on NPR, do a selection of music, and we'll give it out to different donor levels. <laughs> we'll have, and I, I, if I remember last year, remember Shalom Sabar told us about these magic, like, books that people put under their pillows? I think that's going to be also available for different, you know, donor levels. So you get magic amulets, music. Okay, so don't forget, final lecture is tomorrow. If you enjoyed tonight and you want to hear about the origin of uh, sound and music of the synagogue, please join us at 12.15 p.m. Bring your brown bag lunch with you. Um, uh, Semirelli Jewish Campus in Irvine. Again, 12.15. Anything you want to tell people about that? He's going to explain that some of the songs that you sing on Shabbat as you sit there in Shul are really German beer singing songs from the uh, beer garden. Is that right? You're not going to explain that? What are you going to tell them? If anything, you should be. No, but, but what are you going to talk about? I don't give previews. You want me to give a preview? Yeah, just a little preview. You've got these people. You've got a minute. One. Well, you will hear something about the synagogue that you never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> that, Stop right there. Okay, thank you.